We're finishing up the Psalms of Ascent. We've got three more. All right, these Psalms of of Ascent are this collection of Psalms, Psalm 120 through Psalm 134. There's 15 of them that were were sung and meditated on by Old Testament believers as they made their, their journey up to Jerusalem. And it was this metaphor, right? It's this journey that they're making up into and God's presence. And so these 15 psalms are, are psalms for those who are on the road walking, walking in the footsteps of Jesus uh, up to God as God comes down to us. So uh, one of the things we talked about repeatedly is that these 15 psalms can be broken down into five groups of three. And each, each uh, triplet, if you will, each triad has a psalm of poverty, like our troubles, our need. It'll have a psalm of God's provision, and then it'll end with a blessing of peace. And so we're starting the last triad this morning. Uh, this is Psalm 132. It's the longest one here in this collection, and I'm calling this sermon Praying When You're Present, When You're Right Now is Disorienting, or, or you could use the word disappointing. And so let's, let's hear of the hope God gives to the disappointed. Uh, this is God's word. It says, Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of Ja'ar. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will sit on the throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. This is God's word. He has spoken to us today in love. This word is true and trustworthy. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, you have shown us that all your promises are yes and amen in Christ. And so I pray that those promises would be, continue to be a sure and steadfast anchor for our souls in the midst of um, disorienting feelings and disappointment. So this morning we ask that your spirit would come, that we might love you more deeply and be equipped to stay faithful to you, even though when we don't know when you're going to finish the work you've started. 
So help us trust and obey, take up our cross and follow Jesus while we wait for your promises to to be complete. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So do you have a a place that that is just filled with good memories? Maybe it's it's the best day with friends, uh, a place that you went on vacation perhaps this summer that just overwhelmed you with beauty. Or maybe it's this wonderful family moment that you wish you had a, a portrait of over you know, in your living room. I know, I know for me, one of those places uh, was my grandparents' farm growing up down in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Uh, that for most of my life, we lived two to four hours away, so it was always a road trip to get there. But even now, I mean, I just remember waking up, hearing the, the, the sounds of the stone gravel as we pulled into the driveway, Right, you're greeted by that that sweet welcoming smell of of cow manure, <laughs> um, and lots of memories. I had lots of cousins, so we we played kickball, kickball. We would dodge cow pies. We would go fishing. We'd build forts in the in the in the barn out of straw bales. We got put to work. Right, so I've got memories of calluses on my hands for free labor for my grandfather. <laughs> um, he trusted me enough to drive a tractor at 12. Um, on top of just all the countless family meals we would have, um, Thanksgivings and, and Easter. Right now, my, both my grandparents have passed, and, and I believe the farm is sold, but in 2020, we're able to go back to that same place after, after both my grandparents were gone. And you know, it's, it's the same place, but it's diminished, right? Rather than, than my kids experiencing the joys we had of um, helping milk the cows and feed the chickens. Um, it's empty, right? When, you, when I read Psalm 132, I don't feel that way. But if you are a, a Hebrew, an Old Testament um, follower of, of Yahweh, going up to Jerusalem after David, those are some of those emotions that would be swirling around of saying, we're going to where the Lord dwells. We're going to a place where God has promised to put a king in David's family forever. And when this king rules and reigns, all things will be well. All manner of things will be well. And yet, after Babylon, after the exile, it's empty. Right? When they rebuilt the temple, um, it's that the, the young people were celebrating, we finally rebuilt God's house, but the old folks, those who remembered the glory of what was, they wept. Right? And so trying to capture those disorienting feelings of, of remembering a joyful past, but sink, trying to stay faithful in a disorienting present, even as you're living in light of God's promises for a much better future. Right. See, when, when these Old Testament fathers, when they went up to Jerusalem, this was going to be a joy, right? They're going home. They're going into God's presence. But it's disappointing. I mean, just read Isaiah chapter 1. This is before the exile. Uh, God's sick and tired of their worship. Uh, God, Isaiah says that the leaders ought to be called the rulers of Sodom. 
And the people are the people of Gomorrah, symbolizing the, just the sheer lack of submission and desire to obey and keep God's law. The poor are hungry. Right? Again, post-Babylon, there's no king on the throne, so we're in a disappointing present. And so as we meditate on this psalm, I think this is going to help us orient ourselves when we, when we do. We have those emotional, disorienting, uh, confusing feelings where we say, this is not how I would have planned my life to go. God, help me get oriented. And so let's, first point here, let's meditate on what it's like to be disappointed by your present, by right now. Um, C.S. Lewis talks about it this way, that... Um, this is just a sign of the unfulfilled longings that every human being lives with but don't like to talk about out loud. Um, he actually says it's, it's almost indecent to force you to talk about it um, because you, you have joy, you have memories, but it's in a place that's haunted by death, the passing of time. Uh, eating at dinner with a, an empty chair at the table, right? And so he says those, those feelings for that longing for beauty, that longing for home, that he writes so eloquently about, he says, you know, we like to call that nostalgia, right? We get nostalgic about the past, right? See, we're going to talk in a moment about healthy remembering of the past, but you know how nostalgia works, right? It's, it's, it's selective memory, right? It's the good old days when everything was awesome and, and our people were in charge, <laughs> Right? Uh, I preached in a, in a small church in rural Alabama in seminary, right? And so I, it's a three-hour trip from Jackson, Mississippi, and I got there just in time to hear a uh, bunch of Sunday school, and, the, you know, walking in, and the teacher to me looked, I mean, he was, he was elderly. Uh, he was one of the older saints. He probably had to be at least 80 or more. Um, but as he started to tell this story, right, you'll, you'll see this will... See why I'm pointing this out? He just started waxing eloquent about how wonderful things were before the Yankees came down, right? <laughs> and then he looked at me. He's like, you're not a Yankee, are you? I was like, I'm from New York, but go on. And it was this whole story about how the Yankees brought deceit and corruption and just ruined the South, as if he was around to remember, right? And... Right, as a Phillies fan, I agree. The Yankees ruined everything for me. <laughs> but that's what nostalgia does, right? It, it, it corrupts our memory. It, we, we get selective. And, it, you know, in the South, it's, it's remembering the South as if they, too, weren't sinners and didn't have slavery and all the other things. that You know, the North wasn't paradise then either. Right? But when we're disappointed by our present, man, we, we grumble and then we look back and we remember the past selectively as if there wasn't trouble and disappointment then. And we long for the past and want to recreate the past. So if you have that in your head, look at, put yourself in the shoes of someone going up to Jerusalem. Right? They're remembering the past. That's what verses 1 through 10 are. It's remembering God's faithfulness to David, remembering what David did. The throne is supposed to have a son of David on it. It's supposed to have a king who cares what God thinks, who, who loves mercy, who does justice, and walks humbly with their God. But you get there, and the throne's empty. And so what theologians call this, 
disappointing present that comes with mixed emotions. This is the gap between the already and not yet. These Christians, these believers are living in between the promise to David, the promise he's already fulfilled to David, and waiting for the future, for the one, one and future king who will right all that is wrong. All right? and so that's where Israel's at. That's where we live right now. We live in a disappointing present, living in the gap between God's promises that are true. That he's fulfilled some of them, and we're waiting on the rest. And right now, we're called to live by faith and trust. Right. So look at, look at Israel. Let's look at the already. Uh, God promised David that he would make Jerusalem his dwelling place. The ark came into the city. David danced before the Lord. Uh, the people rejoiced. And when David was king, this, these, are, these are the good old days. Right? There was rest from their enemies. He expanded the borders to, to fulfill what God had promised. You will have the promised land from north to south, east to west, it, Samuel lays out how God fulfilled all those promises to Abraham through David. And when David is king, there's unity. They get along. Not for long, but they're all one family. And you look at the already, there is, God has already promised, right? This is Genesis 3.15. I'm going to send a son who's going to crush the head of evil, the head of the serpent, and I'm going to, that son is going to come through the family of Abraham. And when you get to the end of Genesis, you find out it's going to be through the, the tribe of Judah, which is David's family tree. And this particular king, the serpent-crushing king, who's going to undo death and conquer evil, right? he's going to give hope to the world and make Israel a blessing to all the nations. See, all of that is tied into David. And that's, what, that's why we read 2 Samuel 7, when God gave this covenant, this promise, this oath, that, David, you want to build me a house? I'm going to do, do you one better. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to build you a house. Your name will be remembered as one of the great ones. Right? That it's your son, David, that's going to fulfill the promise of Genesis 3, and the promises to Abraham, and the promises to Moses. So what Israel remembers, I mean, this is all the background that's not in Psalm 132, and some of it is, is to say, remember in David's favor, it's remembering that David found himself swept up in God's covenant commitment to use selfish people to renew a broken world as far as the curse is found. And so the already for the original hearers of Psalm 132 is God made his home in Jerusalem. And he, he did. David made God a house, and God gave David a house, a family. And the already that, that Israel's remembering here, especially in verse 11, is that, God, you made a promise. You will not change your mind that you're going to set one of your sons on the throne. Right? So they're remembering. They're, they're reenacting what it was like uh, for for David to build a house and then them to, to find out, okay, the Ark of the Covenant's in, in this place, Ephrathah, Jaar, right? It's, a, it's a, these backwoods places. And they say, okay, let's go meet God in Jerusalem. That, that's the heart of what this verses 1 through 10 are getting at, is they're, they're remembering. 
That's the already. God chose us. What's the not yet? Well, that's at the end of the psalm, verses 17 through 18, um, and really 11 through 18, right? There would be a future king, a son of David, who actually cares what God says, who keeps his commandments, who, who will defend the poor, who will save the needy, who will crush the oppressor, who will bring God's salvation, who will bring great joy to every, every one of God's saints, uh, who will bring peace, sorrow and sighing will flee. I mean, verses 15 through 18 especially uh, hints at the, what this future is going to be like that what God will do when it says, I will make a horn to sprout for David, that's talking about a future king in David's family, the son that he's going to set on the throne. And when he is king, right, the poor will be satisfied. There will be salvation for the priests. Uh, they'll no longer be terrible at their job. <laughs> they'll be covered by the grace of, grace of the Lord. There'll be joy because God is with his people. So that's the already and not yet. Right? God's promised to be there. There's promised king, promised future. But right now, there's a gap. It's an empty throne. What does that feel like? Well, if you turn the page back a little bit to Psalm 89, uh, it tells you, they tell you what it feels like. What does it feel like to wait on God's promises when there's an empty throne? In Psalm 89, you read the first 37 verses. I'm not going to this morning. Um, right? it's, it's all joy. It's all remembering God's past faithfulness. But when you get to verse 38 of Psalm 89, it says, God, you have cast off and rejected. You're full of wrath against your anointed. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. You have defiled his crown in the dust. You have made his splendor to cease and cast his throne to the ground. You have cut short the days of his youth. You have covered him with shame. God, you promised that David would be great and everything stinks. Where are you? And then verse 46, how long, O Lord? Will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire, Lord? Where is your steadfast love of old? which by your faithfulness you swore to David. They're feeling the gap. Their present is disappointing. And they're saying, Lord, you've promised. Why have you not finished the work that you promised, that you started? So, that's Israel. What about you? What about me? Can you feel the gap between the already and not yet, disappointed by right now, nostalgic about the past, um, tempted to be cynical about the future, anxious about the future. And I think this psalm helps us give a couple, couple applications. One, it is good and right to be disappointed with the present, according to the scriptures. This is not the new heavens and new earth. Uh, this world is not as it should be. Uh, it is good and right to not put all your hopes and dreams into right now, even as you enjoy God's good gifts. Right? This is an orientation psalm. You live in the gap between the already and not yet of God's promises. We can't try and set up heaven on earth, because this is earth. 
marred and broken by the fall. So you put it this way as a Christian, right? Jesus died. The tomb is empty. All of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ. We are forgiven. We are justified. We are adopted. And right now we suffer. But because Jesus is alive, our future is secure. But right now in the gap where we live, we should expect disappointment. In this world, you will face trouble. But take heart, says Jesus, I have overcome the world. Our disappointment's designed to get our eyes off of this moment and, and to reenact and retell God's promises to ourselves, to say, what is God going to do? Lord, help me trust you. Help me be faithful. Right? And I could add, right, if you don't have this assurance of the future that Christianity gives you, that the gospel gives you, that because Jesus is alive, you too will be raised after death and be declared not guilty forever and, and have a new body and we'll have new heavens, new earth, no more tears and all that goodness. If you don't have that, all you have is right now. And how are you going to deal with disappointment? Second application, uh, beware of nostalgia. It's, it's seductive, right? And everybody's good at doing this. But Christians are great at doing this. I mean, we can grieve how much culture has changed. It's really easy to remember our past as if it was a Thomas Kincaid painting, all light and no darkness. Right? And what nostalgia does, this is the temptation, it makes it really hard to live in the present when we're stuck on the past. Because right? we're trying to remember a world that never existed. And there's joy in Psalm 132, but David faced hardship. That's the word they used. He, he had trouble, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. Right? Beware of the seduction and nostalgia as we trust God's promises in the present. How do you remember the past? That's, that's the second point here. All right? we, there's a, a right way to be disappointed with the present as you wait on God to fulfill his promises. But let's look at this prayer, right? Verses 1 to 5, it says... Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured in his commitment to find a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. So why was David in anguish? If we're going to remember, hit the past correctly. Um, some people, some commentators think it's just remembering, hey, remember when David almost died repeatedly as Saul tried to kill him. Right? It, was a, it was a rough journey to becoming king. Other commentators and other uh, Bible nerds will say, you know, the word for hardship actually refers to heart searchings, or the way we would talk about it, it's painful self-reflection. The kind of painful self-reflection that comes as you think about coming into the presence of the one who is holy, holy, holy. Uh, The the kind of self-reflection that causes repentance when you realize I'm not well and I need help. Because if you, you put this in the, the bigger picture, you remember the story of how David brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. All right, Israel had, this is the beginning in 1 Samuel, they superstitiously decided to use the Ark as a talisman or uh, as, as a weapon so that when they go to war, if we have the Ark with us, we're guaranteed to, to smite our enemies. All right, and so that's what they did. They brought the Ark into the battle with the Philistines 
confident that they won, they were going to win, and they even like shouted like men and to the point where the Philistines were terrified that the Lord was going to do to the Philistines what he did to Egypt, except Israel lost. And then the ark was taken. Right? And so the Philistines took the ark, this symbol of Yahweh, the Lord's power, took it with them back to their home, uh, put it into the temple of Dagon, their, their, their god, and they went to bed after partying. And they woke up in the morning, and it's almost comical, right? Every morning they woke up, the, the statue of Dagon was falling down on its face before the footstool of God, the Ark of the Covenant. Right? It's almost as if their lifeless God was acknowledging the Lord as king of kings. And of, along with that, wherever the Ark went in Philistine territory, a plague broke out. Tumors kept bursting out on, on, on people. And so it so freaked out the Philistines that said, forget this, God is our enemy, let's give them back. This, is, this was their uh, terrorist plan all along. Right? And so they put it on an ox cart and shipped it back to the borders of Israel, and the ark landed in this place called kiriath Jerim, where the fields of Jaar are in our, in our text, where Ephrathah is, and it sat there for 20 years, ignored during Saul's reign. And so when you hear that, that's what they're remembering, is remember when they said, oh yeah, God's Ark of the Covenant, and they decided to bring it to Jerusalem. We, we heard about that. Let's go to God's presence. Right? And so what David does is he brings the Ark from the backwoods of Jaar uh, to the, from this field to Jerusalem. It's still on the ox cart. And of course, the, what happens? This is a famous traumatic story. The ox, the ox stumbles. The Ark starts to fall. A well-meaning guy named Uzzah reaches out to save it, touches the ark as he was commanded not to, and he dies instantly. All the joy is completely sucked out of the city. David sends it away, the ark away, and he goes through hardship. He's doing a good thing. He's going to build God a house. He's bringing the symbol of God's presence, his footstool, into Jerusalem God, do you even approve of this plan? Are you rejecting me? Right? David is anxious about God. He's anxious about God's presence. He's anxious about his justice. It's more clear in 1 Chronicles than, than Samuel. But once David sees that God is still for Israel through blessing the people that the, the ark was holed up in, um, they try again, and David goes, oh, yeah, we didn't follow God's instructions on how to move this thing. He, he had to go through the pain of repentance, of saying, I screwed up. Right? Israel was supposed to have the priests carry the ark on poles, and they didn't obey God's command about worship. And so then when David repents and brings the ark to Jerusalem to shouting to the sounds of horns and trumpets and cymbals and, and harps and lyres and that famous scene where David is just dancing with joy before the ark to the point of making his wife really mad, thinking he's making a fool of himself. Right? The anguish David went through, the hardship that they're remembering, this is, this is a right remembering of the past. It was not all roses. Right? The anguish of guilt, the anguish of regret, of saying, I, I, I wish I did the past differently. 
And when you really sit on that feeling, the, dis- the, the pre- right now gets really disappointing. You feel like you just want to run away from God and other people. You don't want to be seen. You don't want to be known. I just want to hide. And so that puts the prayer in perspective where they're saying, Lord, remember the pain and agony David went through so that you might dwell with us, so that we could share in the joy of your presence and all the wonderful benefits that, it come, that you, you give. We'll connect us to Jesus in a minute. All right, but notice the connection. When they're disappointed by the present, they're saying, Lord, remember the past suffering and faithfulness of your servant who came before me. You are not the first Christian to face disappointment, nor will you be the last. That's what the scriptures do. They give us a testimony of what believers did with their disappointment as they fought to believe and trust the promises as you seek to remember God's past kindness. And so they prayed. They sang the song. Arise, O Lord, go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, and you let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant David, for David's sake, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. It's just good counsel. And this is a community. When you're disappointed, get in community with other believers to remember the past, and to rehearse God's past faithfulness. And specifically to remember the past faithfulness of David. And we'll talk about how that works as a Christian. Right? Second, the third point here, right? We don't want to be nostalgic about the past as we're disappointed right now. We, We need to remember the past clearly. And third, we're called to rehearse God's promises the way these believers do. The comforting part of this text is it's saying, look at how David and the Lord came together in a covenant relationship so that Israel might have God and all of his benefits. But the sure and certain thing is not David. He had to repent. The sure and certain thing in this text is verse, verse 11, that the Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back, from which he will not change his mind. Right? There's no backsies. And the promise is, one of your sons I will set on the throne. And if your sons keep my covenant and the testimonies I teach them, their son shall also forever sit on your throne. Right? And so, how do we do this? Right? One, remember, this is God's commitment to dwell with his people through the work of of a son of David, right? Zion, the the heavenly city, Jerusalem, this is God's home. This is where he's chosen to dwell. He's not there because of David's faithfulness. He's there because of his good pleasure. And with God comes provision for the poor, salvation, and joy. Notice that verse 16 is answering the prayer of verse 9, right? That when God says, here's what I'm going to do, I'm going to answer your prayer. I'm going to give the priest salvation. I'm going to uh, give the saints joy. But then it goes even further that when God keeps his promise, God says, I will make a horn to sprout for David. All right, and so here's what this is. This is poetic language 
where God's saying, I'm going to send a future king. I'm going to keep my promise. I'm going to cause a branch to grow for David and give light to this anointed. In other words, disappointment and evil may cloud your vision right now, but listen to what God says of what he will do. Right? So this king, this horn, um, this branch, when he rules, he's going to bring salvation and joy. The Hebrew word for sprout is the same word to use to describe the noun, a branch. And in the prophets, that becomes really important for all the wonderful promises we have about Jesus. Right? So Jeremiah. Jeremiah says, Behold, the days are coming when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and deal wisely and execute justice and righteousness in the land and His days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. The Lord, our defender. Zechariah 3, when the branch comes, God says, when the branch rules, I will remove iniquity from this land in a single day. I will will cover up all the shame of every, all of my people, including the priests. I'm going to clothe the priests with salvation. In Zechariah 6, the branch is going to rebuild God's temple, God's dwelling place. When you read Isaiah, and you, the stump, the branch, the plant, right? It's, it's ruling with fairness, the, the poor rejoicing, the meek being cared for, the, the wolf lying down with the lamb, and the whole earth being filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. Right. See, when you're disappointed, what we're called to do is look at God's promises for the future. That's what Pastor Jim's going to help us do shortly in Romans 8, that when the sufferings of this present time, these disappointments hit you, you've got to look at the future and say, these are not worthy of being compared to the great glory that is to come. Israel's doing that just in their own, in in the Old Testament, pre-Jesus way. (laughs) So if I were to sum up this psalm, say, God right now is disappointing, remind me of your past faithfulness, show me my glorious future so that I might be faithful right now as I make this journey towards you. Right. We, could, we could stop there, but don't you have another question? I mean, how do you know God will not change his mind? How do you know he keeps his promises? How do you know this future is yours? Right. And the answer is in verse 11. The Lord swore a promise from which he will not turn back. Do you know that Peter says this on Pentecost? He quotes this, Psalm 132, that after Jesus rose from the dead and when they wanted to testify to the reality that Jesus Christ is alive and God has fulfilled all these promises in Jesus Christ, he says, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne. That's, that's Psalm 132 language. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. See, what, what Psalm 132 points to is, is Jesus. 
I mean, he's, he's the proof that the Lord will not change his mind, even when it costs him. Right? So this is why you can trust God with the future. He's already kept the hardest promise, swearing to install his son by giving up his son for you so that you might be forgiven through his death. That's part of the promise, right? When Jesus was on trial and the high priest finally says, Jesus, I I, I command you by oath, by the living God to swear, are you the Messiah? And Jesus says, right now, as you see me, um, you'll see me ascended. You'll see me on the throne. You'll see angels. Uh, he quotes Daniel 7. I'm butchering the, the, the quote right now, right? But that you'll see angels ascending and descending on the, the, the Son of Man. Um, part of what Jesus said is, the way I am crowned king is through my suffering. And Jesus being crowned king through his suffering, was God's promise. His promise kept. That's why Sinclair Ferguson says, the cross and the empty tomb tell us something, that all of God's promises can be trusted. For the promise that his son would suffer in our place was surely the hardest promise the father ever made, and he kept it. He kept it. And so he promises to forgive all your sins when you turn from them. He promises to always hear you, When you call to him, he promises only to work for your good. He promises to walk alongside you through the disappointing times and to bring you safely into his presence in heaven. And so if you love him, you'll trust him. And how do you trust him? This is still Ferguson. It says, remember that God has already kept his hardest to keep promise in Christ from his makeshift cradle to his empty grave. Right. So how do you pray this? Prayer of Psalm 132? We don't pray anything in David's name, right? We don't say, Lord, remember David's suffering, although it is a really helpful part of our faith to see someone suffer and stay faithful. No, we, Jesus taught us how to pray. Right? He says, ask anything in my name, and my Father will give it to you, so that the Father might be glorified in the Son. We pray, Lord, remember the hardships, the agony, the suffering that Jesus went through so that I might have his presence right now in my disappointment. I mean, that's what Jesus went through. We remember Jesus' agony, how he literally faced the rejection of his father in our place, clothed in our shame so that we could be welcomed clothed in Christ's perfect faith and righteousness. The branch really is his name. The Lord is our righteousness. That's Jesus. And so when you pray through your disappointments, whether you realize it or not, every time you say in Jesus' name, you're, you're already praying through the, the, the gap between the already and not yet. Lord, your past promises are true. The tomb is empty. That means because he is alive, my future is secure. Help me trust you right now with my disappointment. Let's pray. Father, I pray uh, for us as a church uh, that we might be witnesses of the risen Christ, as Peter reminds us, Uh, witnesses to your steadfast love and faithfulness. Um, 
witnesses, uh, may we be faithful witnesses that even when we are disappointed, we can have the honesty to say, Lord, how long? But live with assurance that this, this present will not last, uh, that these present afflictions are not worth comparing with this great and glorious future to come, that when the, the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem comes down from heaven, down to earth, dressed as a bride, we get to hear those wonderful words, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. The old has passed away and the new has come. You will wipe away every tear from our eye, and when we see you, we'll become like you. So may those future promises give us assurance today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.